in speaking about uh, concepts of the divine, of God, uh, how we might relate to that kind of concept, I think it's important actually to to really um, say a bit more and and emphasize something about how we relate to talking and hearing about these concepts. In other words, how are we holding and uh, conceiving of the whole relationship with concepts? And with these concepts, in, well, actually, with these concepts in particular. So again, my my uh, intention here is certainly not to um, <coughs> build <coughs> or outline some kind of uh, rigid, complete, and final explanation of everything to do with the divine, um, some conceptual framework that's watertight and will last uh, forever. Um, But rather, uh, wanting to offer something in the way of conceptual structures, conceptual frameworks, um, logoi in in the Greek, um, that can... um, feed in, support, open up our experience, um, our experiences, meditative experience, meditative exploration, and then the meditative experience, the exploration, of course, um, feed back into the conceptual frameworks, offer something there. So there's this mutual um, uh, feeding, nourishing, supporting, shaping in ways that encourage, deepen, open, enrich the soulfulness, etc. So, wanting to offer, build um, uh, conceptual frameworks, talk about conceptual, possible conceptual frameworks, ways things might work conceptually, um, that open up the whole field of exploration, inquiry and experience, not, uh, that do not close it down. So that, that's important. Um, so that in that, or with that, maybe um, maybe it all doesn't fit together quite. It's a bit clunky uh, uh, at the edges. Um, maybe um, parts of uh, a conceptual structure or the whole thing or the framework is, is vague. We'll come back to this later. And that's, I think, especially... Um, uh, possible and, and probable, in fact, here in this in this area, when we're talking about the divine God and those kind of things, uh, those kind of concepts and words um, and experiences, partly because of the nature of 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 that of that material that the divine is um, almost by definition cannot be contained in concepts. So almost as a, as a starting point, we're uh, acknowledging the infinite nature of the divine. Um, so whatever we say will not contain it. Uh, whatever structure of concepts or ideation will not contain it, will not um, be, be enough. I'm going to say more about this as we go on. Um, so it's in the nature of uh, that, that material. Um, of, of this material. Paul Tillich 
a very um, renowned uh, theologian, philosopher of the 20th century, said, every understanding of spiritual things, uh, Geistwissenschaft, every, every understanding of spiritual things is circular. So there's a lot here to acknowledge um, in if we're going to bring concepts in, uh, and and for the sake of the opening and the soulfulness and the support of inquiry and investigation, the adventure of meditation, of practice, the adventure of life, really, in terms of opening the experience. If we're going to bring concepts in, we have to acknowledge something about circularity, about infinity, about the impossibility of containing and having this neat, fine, or arriving at some neat, final um, and complete structure that explains everything. And that is not a problem. That's not a problem. It's just something to acknowledge there. And is it because um, it helps the experience and because it opens the soulfulness, etc. So there's a different relationship here uh, with all this. And um, also just, uh, you know... Uh, some of the, if, if it doesn't fit together, etc., is, is just due to, you know, my energy levels and the situation at present and, and um, time time constraints from various angles with all that. Um, but also, you know, another dimension of, of this, or part of what I said just, just before, is that I feel very much like this is, all this is a work in progress for me. I think I mentioned... I did mention another uh, talk, another retreat, um, you know, a different style of teaching rather than, you know, sometimes it's appropriate I sit at the front and give you a, or, or disseminate a sort of complete package, this is it and it's finished and, and it's all very neat and clear and that has its place. And then there's other styles of teaching, this more what I was calling hermetic in that other retreat, this more open-ended uh, this, in a way, collaboration of exploration between so-called teacher and so-called student. So this is work in progress for me. Uh, ideas, concepts, feeding into experience, experience shaping, concepts, etc. And there's no problem in that. Uh, there's something for me beautiful in that, in the openness of it, in the creativity, the creation, the adventure, the discovery of all that. So there's a kind of dance, if you like, between um, concepts and experience, between conceiving conceptual frameworks and the opening and of experience and a new experience. And and that, that they are so mutually, uh, uh, hopefully feeding, shaping, nourishing, deepening, opening each other. Uh, and And that dance evolves evolves over time, um, even for one person, because personality differences here hugely in relation to all this, in relation to how okay people are uh, with um, with conceptual structures not being taken seriously, how okay they are with conceptual structures um, being quite loose, with them evolving, how okay they are with um, even thinking at all or, or entertaining consciously conceptual structures. Remember, conceptual structures always entertained unconsciously. 
So there's personality differences, but even over time for one person, there's evolution, there's ebb and flow. So there will be times for some people on this kind of adventure and this kind of exploration where it's really okay that there's very little conceptual framework holding the exploration at, at a certain time. Other times we need a structure. It really helps support and guide and direct exploration. And yet, as I've mentioned um, in, in, in several talks elsewhere, is, is that there is this, um, in the Lurianic Kabbalah, what they call the breaking of the vessels. Shirat HaKelim, the, the structures will break, all kinds of structures in our life, as as they are um, filled, uh, if you like, with from that perspective, from like God, but, but really as, as, as we grow, as the psyche grows, as things expand and get fertilized, um, the structures of, of uh, social structures, ideational structures, relationship structures, they will break, they will shatter, the shattering of the vessels. So in terms of conceptual structures, yes, um, we need structures at certain points, we establish them, we build them carefully, and then they break. And then and then we form, or new ones are formed, different ones, and they evolve. There's a whole evolution to this. So to me, there's, there's a, a beauty in that dance between conceptual frameworks and um, experience, and, and the, 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 the dynamic of that, the evolution of that, and I'll come back to this later. Um, so we could say, I don't want to dance. I don't want to dance. <laughs> I don't want this dance between conceptual, uh, the, the movement of the, the evolution of the conceptual framework, the evolution of experience. Or, uh, I don't want to enter into that because I, I don't want to dance. I won't consciously entertain conceptual frameworks. So I refuse. I don't want to dance. Or what happens is we cling to one conceptual framework. Sometimes we don't even realize we're clinging operating unconsciously or or consciously we just keep clinging to something that's static and hold, try and hold that as a kind of rigid literalized explanation of everything that, 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 that remains static so uh, anyway I think it's really important to know something about the nature of um, perception and the nature of mind is that there is always conceiving, and conceiving and perception, experience, um, shape and inform and structure each other. They influence each other anyway. We cannot get away from this. It's very popular, the idea of non-conceptual experience, etc. It's, it's a, um, a myth in the worst sense of the, of the word. It's an illusion. You have to understand something at the subtlest levels of um, perception, consciousness, experience, mind, uh, conceiving, subtle conceiving and perceiving um, are totally woven in, into each other and, and um, inform, shape, structure uh, each other um, at, at all levels, from the subtlest to the grossest. So just to, to recognize that, now, in exploring imaginal practice as a person goes deeper into all this and more fully into all this, and in exploring um, experiences of theophany and cosmopoiesis, as, as we've alluded to, um, one sense uh, that can um, emerge 
if you like, um, as a sense, but also as a conceptual framework that the two going together, aspects of the same uh, gestalt, if you like. Um, one sense is, is the sense of, if you like, the uh, multiplicity of dimensions um, in in the nature of an object, that, that of any object. So a person or a thing or an imaginal figure, it, 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 uh, when we see imaginally, uh, there is a sense uh, that we can um, pick up on, that, that, that can emerge for us through practice, we can pick up on uh, that this, whatever it is I'm looking at, this object, this person, this thing, this world, has a kind of... Uh, has multiple dimensions to it. Its nature is to, to have multiple dimensions. So I want to very tentatively uh, talk, give the label the, the vertical spectrum of the imaginal. And I'll explain later why, why that labeling is so tentative. I'm not very good at coming up with uh, coining phrases and labels for things. But the vertical spectrum of the imaginal uh, tentatively, let's call that. But it's this sense of the, the multiple dimensions um, that uh, comprise an object or that an, uh, uh, pertain to an object. So some, saying something a little more specifically here than just that it's possible to perceive selves, things, others, world in different ways, which of course is very much part of the teaching about fabrication and emptiness of perception. So this morning, uh, I think there was a, an enormous hullabaloo outside the window and uh, a, r- a racket shouting and screaming and yelling and whooping and arguing and and um, and I'm pretty sure it was a, a school sort of hiking uh, tour or something, uh, just stopping for a while out, out, outside the door, outside the window. And um, uh, right there, I can see, okay, can hear it in a sort of, um, uh, how would you say, uh, through the lens of, of a certain um, social perspective about, about uh, you know, kids today and, da, 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 and the, the racket, you hear it as a racket expressing kind of um, maybe inconsideration and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and obviously wrapped up with that is some aversion, some reactivity. Can hear it in the mode of bare attention. And it's just sound. Um, and also possible to hear it, as, as they say in, in Tantra teachings, to hear all things as mantra, as holy speech, as the sound of divinity. And to just, uh, in, in the meditation, as meditation, to just hear it differently. Not a racket, not even just sound. It's the expression of the divine. Well, it's an expression of the divine, of the sound of the divine, the music of the divine, if you like, the speech of the divine, the holy speech. Now, what does that mean? It's vague. It, it doesn't, you know, do we need to fill it out? I'll come back to this. I could say that's just an example of the, 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 the flexibility, the malleability of perception that's possible to perceive things in different ways. But I want to say something a little bit more than that here in relation to this vertical spectrum of the imaginal, what I'm calling that tentatively. 
I look at my friend, someone I've known for a long time and I love very much. And I can, of course, see her as flesh and blood and aware of the, uh, as much as I know, uh, about the, the physical processes that make up her body and uh, mental uh, or biological processes in the brain and all this. I can, I can see her um, in terms of, I know her personal historical background, her upbringing, uh, her woundedness, her, her trajectories of growth, where, where she gets hung up, uh, the particular things she's strong at, the, her characteristics. See her in the ordinary sense of self, and as we talked about uh, in, in the other talk, this kind of modernist sense of self. Of course I can see her that way. And yet, as I'm looking at her, and if you like, meditating imaginally on her in front of me or in my mind's eye, uh, I can also see her, I also get the sense of uh, that she is, or that she expresses, if you like, uh, the feminine aspect of God. She is a face, she is a theophany. At a certain level of perception, level of imaginal perception, she appears to me as um, one of the feminine aspects of, of the divine. She appears to me as angel, as Dakini or Deva, if you, if you prefer the Buddhist words. There's a theophany there, and it's quite, it might be really quite particular or a little bit vague. And it might even be that at the same time, I, I am aware of uh, the, the ordinary, sort of modernist way of seeing her. Of course, I'm aware of that. And I'm aware of this other level. I may be aware of other levels too. Um, I may also be aware of, uh, it, of a kind of more um, universal um, expression of the divine coming through. Uh, but this, this particular one of the feminine aspect of the divine is very particular to her. It's in and through her personhood, her particularity, and it's, and it's expressing a, a, an aspect of the divine that has to do with the personhood of the divine, or a personhood of the divine. And it might even be that, that I'm aware of several of these kind of more uh, personal and particular uh, expressions, manifestations, or different levels um, at the same time as I look at her, as I meditate uh, imaginally on her, uh, eyes open or eyes closed, looking at her. And there can be a sense that there's a kind of a spectrum here. It's as if, oh, w w one could kind of tune the attention to different levels here. Maybe one stands out and almost like calls for the attention, of course, calls the attention to tune into it. Maybe there's a kind of multiplicity and then one can deliberately tune the attention that way. But this sense that can emerge uh, for, for, for practitioners of, uh, and it's both a sense, a perceptual sense, and a conception, so they're woven into each other. This conception may emerge quite loosely and then, of course, as I said, influence and support uh, the perception, and, and so the soulfulness and the soul-making. So, perception, experience, appearance will be influenced, supported, and will influence and support uh, the conception. It's, it's, it's mutual. And in all of that, there's a, a, a deepening and opening and enriching and nourishing 
of the soulfulness and the soul making. So this what I'm wanting tentatively to call vertical spectrum of the imaginal. It's it's hard to define. Um, a spectrum, if you like, of, of theophanies, a spectrum of faces of the divine. Uh, really, really want to emphasize it's a spectrum of perception. What, placing perception in the whole way of construing Dharma and imaginal practice and, and all that. Perception is central whether it's non-imaginal or imaginal, placing perception um, and the fabrication of perception at, at, as the, almost like the core concept, the central concept, the hinge concept, the base, basis concept on which everything, uh, everything is uh, structured, built, rests, etc. So really emphasizing, if I talk about this vertical spectrum of the imaginal, we're really talking about a spectrum of perceptions, not separate from the chitta, from the mind, the heart, the conceiving. Uh, but it's a sense, of a spectrum of, uh, as you say, you might call the faces of the divine, um, and it comprises in this spectrum um, all kinds of, of manifestations or expressions of the sense of, of a sense of utter sacredness, all, all the way down, we could say, to to uh, non-sacredness. Uh, more specifically. Um, we could say that this sense of this um, vertical dimension of the ima- of the imaginal is is the sense uh, and and the conceiving that selves, things, and world have in and uh, through their particularity. Uh, that's very important. In and through their particularity, the selves, things, and world have their roots in. They originate in, they mirror or reflect or they possess or are comprised of dimensions other than just the commonly agreed upon dimension of materiality or self as as we tend to view it, conceive it, sense it in in, in the paradigm of modernist culture. So the sense, I'll say that again, the, the, this vertical uh, dimension as a concept is the sense and the concept that selves, things, and world have in and through their particularities, through their personhood, if you like, they have their roots in, they originate in, they mirror or reflect, uh, they possess or are comprised of dimensions other than just the commonly agreed upon dimension of materiality or of for instance, self as as modern culture construes and views it. Uh, how might we recognise that? Well, in a way, it's already there in, in the word. So, not not to just to make one thing clear, it's not a spectrum of uh, sort of solidity versus ethereality. What we we're talking about before. Um, some days ago, the it's not a spectrum of the octave or or register, so to speak, of the image, like very very refined and light compared to more sort of bassy and solid. That uh, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, it's uh, really that the um, imaginal sense is imbued with the, a sense of the sacred. Um, through the sense of um, 
comprising or expressing more than the modernist sense uh, of of uh, ego, of self, of person, or just matter. This more, comprising more, expressing more, the multiplicity, the spectrum there of manifestations, of um, faces, of theophanies, if you like, this more is not horizontal only. So I mentioned this earlier. So, for example, we talked about the interconnectedness of, uh, if I, of, of physic- physical objects. Interconnectedness at, at a physical level. I can look at uh, my friend and see and interconnected to us. We're breathing the same air. If we're in the same room, we're built of the same stuff that emerged from the same supernova explosion formed the earth and built of earth and air and fire and water if you use the Buddhist elements um, this uh, interconnectedness at a physical level is also a kind of more because usually I see her contained just there her body stops at the edges of her skin when I look through the lens of this uh, uh, interconnectedness at a physical level, there's more, but it's a more horizontal, it's a horizontal spreading, if you like, at the level of physicality. Or the causes, uh, if I think in terms of the causes and conditions, when we usually talk in those terms, the causes and conditions that give rise to this self, or this object, or this world or environment. Usually, again, that interconnectedness or, or that inclusion of the web uh, the net of causes and conditions is also a more. It's expanding the view from a tight, bounded object more, but it's expanding it horizontally. It's all to, it's talking about interconnectedness and feeding in uh, uh, and expanding the uh, limits of this person or object or thing that I'm looking at. It, but it's all horizontal. It's all on the same level. What's feeding in there? Uh, and what's being acknowledged as being more is on the same level. It's horizontal. So what I really want to emphasize is is something that's not horizontal, something of, as I said, other dimensions, other levels, if you like, of, let's say, being or existence, but again, really perception. Everything hinges on perception. That that is there, available um, in the perception. So, vertical spectrum of the imaginal, in a way, it's a sense, it's a perception. We get that sense. But, as I said, it's also a concept, it is, by its nature, a a conceptual framework. It's a logos. Um, So that the sense of it, the perception of this, um, includes the the logos, the conception of it. This is something I want to stress. I do not have to, you do not have to believe this as something real. There there is no credo here you have to sign up to. I'm going to return to this. It's so important. And, um, that's one thing, and it might be that the whole conception of this vertical spectrum is relatively vague. I, I... for me, actually, it's re- I, I certainly don't believe it as some kind of literal, concretized, fixed uh, reality that I'm assuming has inherent existence. And it's still uh, quite vague, but it can still be extremely powerful. I really want to emphasize this and come back to this. It can still function so 
beautifully and potently in terms of soul making, soulfulness, and, and, and nourishing and opening soulfulness. Don't have to subscribe to belief, and it can, and it might be relatively vague. It might not be. Uh, we'll, we'll return to those points it's, because it's very, very crucial to emphasize. Uh, so it is, to an extent, uh, a sense, a perception. It is also uh, a, a conceptual framework, a logos. But what's important then is that the conceptual framework, the logos, needs to be um, loose enough or big enough, if you like. My conceptual framework needs to be big enough um, to allow that kind of perception of this vertical spectrum, of this multiplicity, of this other levels shining through. Um, it needs to be big enough to allow theophany and cosmopoesis. So that if I view an image um, only in the sort of typical self-referential terms, I mean, there's many ways I could do that, but for instance, this image is arising because only, only because this uh, happened to me when I was a child, or, or whatever, or, or something like that. It's not to say it's not arising in part because of that, or, or that it, that might be. Uh, one could one could view it as that's part of the vertical spectrum. That a personal human history is part of the vertical spectrum. But if I only view it self-referentially in those terms, those kind of terms, for instance, then that view is a shrunken and narrowed, constricted conceptual framework, Logos, and it will prevent the sense of theophany. Do you understand? So, and mostly this is unconscious. We hold on to views, conceptual frameworks uh, that are quite narrow, unconsciously, and there's not enough room to allow um, experience to open in different ways, said many times now. So that kind of viewing an image only self-referentially, in that sense, will prevent the sense of theophany vertical spectrum, almost by definition, because the theophany, um, by, by definition, is, uh, is uh, seeing uh, an expression, a mirroring, and originating in uh, the, the ar archetypal or the divine. I'm seeing this thing, this person, or myself, with this image as originating in, expressing, or mirroring um, uh, the archetypal or the divine, an archetype or the divine. In other words, by definition, it's not just self-referential, because a theophany involves other levels of the vertical spectrum coming through, other levels, so to speak, evident in, in an image. Now, what also happens with this, through this, um, as a person practices um, imaginal practice, we've touched on this uh, already, but just to say it again, is that there is a tendency for the theophanic sense, um, for the image sense, uh, to, to spread. It becomes a sensibility. So this loose conceptual framework that's operating, the seeing of other levels and the tuning to that becomes a sensibility and a mode of being, becomes how we see, and then it spreads uh, in different ways. And one of the ways it spreads is, is so, so to speak, uh, to embrace more 
uh, more objects rather than just the imaginal figure or this personal thing that I'm looking at. Now that might be, so to speak, um, purely internally, an imaginal world might open up. Or it might be that this world, the world of uh, agreed-upon conventional uh, physical world that we see, um, is uh, uh, comes alive in a kind of cosmopoesis, that it, it becomes, if you like, uh, a, a different kind of cosmos. I'm still seeing perhaps the same things. The trees over there, and this my, my friend is over here. The sky, the grass, whatever it is, the river, the city. But uh, it's the uh, theophanic sense, uh, the image sense that was perhaps focused on one figure, whether so to speak, purely internally, purely imaginal, or or through an as a as an object in the world, my friend or whatever, um, that spreads to uh, to create a kind of world, a cosmopoesis. And what we have there uh, is uh, the image of self uh, and other and world uh, are co-created together. Actually, there's another factor there that's eros. We can, that's a whole other subject. But there's a co-creation in this spreading of self other world, the imaginal sense of all, are, are um, co-created together, mutually dependent, mutually feeding. The important point thing is, important point here is that uh, there's there's often a spreading, and this is talked about in the instructions the other day. Uh, there's a spreading um, of the sense of theophany, and and there can be a cosmopoesis. Now, someone might say. It's a fair enough thing to say. Well, isn't that just colouring the perception? You have this sense, and then it's just spreading to colour the perception of the world. And uh, yes, it is a colouring of perception. But again, it's important to realise, to have enough depth of insight to realise that all perception, all perception is coloured uh, all the time. It's fabricated. No perception is independent of the way of looking. So how, how does this work, uh, if we go into this a bit more, this, um, this idea of a vertical spectrum of the imaginal and, and this spreading? Now, I've uh, talked about this, this, this kind of mechanism is not quite the right word, but the way that it works before, I felt like I didn't quite explain it uh, very well, so I'm going to try again. Uh, when there is eros... With uh, in relation to an imaginal figure. Remember that imaginal figure might be um, just, so to speak, purely uh, in the imagination, with no uh, reference to into the to the world of physical objects. Or it could be um, the way I'm seeing my friend through or as image, as we talked about. When there is eros with an imaginal figure, um, that eros, almost by definition, if we can even try and define Eros. Eros is, it wants more. It's this desire for more. And particularly, it wants more contact. And it wants more to be in contact with. And it wants to fertilize. So this, we could say that's what Eros is. That's a big, 
we could start from that definition of eros. When that's there with an imaginal figure, there's this love, this desire for contact, for more contact, more contact, more to contact. Then by, by, because of that desire, it, it impregnates and it gives more life to the image not just in terms of vividness and touching the heart, but also it expands the image, expands and enriches and deepens the fantasy, the mythos that's operating. And um, so much so that it stretches it, uh, and, stre- and in so one way it stretches it is by creating other levels, uh, and, and creating eventually this sense of theophany, the sense of certain levels are divine, the divine is speaking through, um, shining through in, in the particular. So Eros doesn't lose sight of the particular. You understand? It's um, often in spiritual things that Eros wants to just dissolve in the beloved or union or melt or whatever. Um, actually, uh, in doing that, there there is the dissolution of the eros too. So eros needs a particular, a particular person, and you to see this in and love it in and through its particularities and its personhood, their personhood, and fill that out, make it more multidimensional, more complex. It's not just a movement towards this universal dissolution, union, what, whatever. That that's valid too, but that that actually dissolves the eros. And it actually also dissolves the, the psyche, the soulfulness there. So there's something, uh, we'll come back to this more, this parallelism, if you like, um, of two movements, the universal and the personal. Two tracks, if you like, very connected. Um, I'll come back to this. But, as I said, Eros, in wanting more, and wanting to contact more, wanting more contact, more to contact, it wants to fertilize and it opens up the levels in the particularity and of the of and through the particularity of this thing, this person, this world, and and opens up a sense of theophany of God shining uh, through in different forms at different levels uh, through that particularity and in that personhood. And that is, as I already said, that perception of theophany and that multiple levels is or uh, implies or needs a, a, an, an increase of the conceptual framework, a stretching of the logo. So as Eros does this, and it opens up uh, the soulfulness, or the psyche, if you like, it also stretches the logos, or, or that movement itself, the whole gestalt of that movement, the whole dynamic of that movement, is a stretching, or involves a stretching of the, of the logos to incorporate that. So it stretches vertically, if we, if we use that word tentatively, and it also spreads um, to the world, to the surroundings in cosmopoesis. So that, that's, that spreading in cosmopoesis to um, feel like we're inhabiting a different world. Or, 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 or we have a sense of the, the, the existence of other loosely dimensions of, of, of being to this world. This spreading, that's also part of Eros opening psyche, Eros opening the soulfulness, um, opening the image and the imaginal sense, fertilizing it, inseminating the image of the beloved, spreading to the world and also spreading vertically. So this spreading to the world, this cosmopoesis is also part of Eros desiring more connections, part of it creating 
or discovering both, creating, discovering both, more of the beloved. This is what Eros, I want to go deeper into you. I want to penetrate deeper, discover more of you, move inside you, know you, know the worlds that open up through you. This is what Eros wants. So this widening in terms of spilling over to include the world and the, the cosmos, that's part of the, 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 the thrust, the movement of Eros. All of it um, is, is the movement of Eros wanting. And the more, as I said, implies, includes other dimensions, very much as what I want to emphasize, other dimensions to the object, other dimensions, other levels of beauty and other levels of being in or through this object, person, this world, or nature. So that what I'm calling a vertical spectrum of the imaginal vertical dimension of perception is opened up, as well as the wider one that uh, begins to include the surroundings, which you will have noticed in meditation already sometimes. So this vertical dimension, this, this vertical perception and conception, this sense, as I said before, uh, to loosely define it, the sense that selves, things, and world have in and through their particularities, through their personhood, if you like, have their roots in, originate in, they mirror, reflect, they uh, possess or are comprised of dimensions, other than just the commonly agreed upon dimension of, say, materiality, or self as understood and viewed and sensed in modernist culture. That uh, sense and conception of, of the vertical dimension, uh, that, that sense, one, one way of turning around what we're saying is that is um, uh, a manifestation or, or a way in which um, soul making happens. It is psyche opening. It is um, that sense itself and that conception um, reflects and feeds uh, an opening, an increase, a deepening, an enriching, a nourishing of soulfulness. If we do not cling either too concretely or literally to the whole idea of it in some kind of, I don't know, new age way, or uh, or, or, or just cling too tightly to the whole thing. The part, we said in an earlier talk, part of the way I would like to define soul-making is to include this very light holding of concepts. Not literal, not concretized, loose, not believed in, not um, regarded as being other than a perception or something separate from the mind not regarded as an, an ultimate, uh, a truth in a sort of final sense. But this uh, sense of this vertical dimension, the perception of it, uh, and which includes the conception of it, you could say is ensouling the world. It's a way, it is uh, a way of seeing and conceiving that very potently opens the sense of um, soul in the world and the world being ensouled. So we could say that psyche um, 
soul through eros's fertilization, through the the, the, the sort of thrust of eros there, or uh, the opening of eros, it uh, it sees it sees this way. Or rather, it wants to see this way. There's something in the soul that we could say wants to see this way. That when there's soul making and the increase, the nourishment of soulfulness, um, psyche will tend, the soul will tend through eros's fertilization, as I described, try to describe. It will it will move towards seeing more more this way. We could say maybe the soul needs soul needs this kind of multiple or multiple leveled multi-dimensional seeing and knowing and conceiving. As William Blake wrote, uh, I'm not sure which poem. Uh, God save us from single vision. It's a, a prayer. God help us. God save us from single vision. So there's something in us. Uh, that as the soulfulness of soul making increases, it needs this uh, sense of this multiple, multi-leveled uh, nature of things, of perception. And that seeing that way actually reflects uh, an opening of soul, opening of the psyche. And this uh, whole movement dynamic of eros, Psyche and Logos is, is trying to describe feeding and growing and fertilizing each other, creating space, uh, opening, uh, creating wombs for that, that fertilization, deepening and widening. Okay, so I said uh, earlier that the word vertical... Um, or the whole vertical spectrum of the imaginal, A, it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, doesn't sound that poetic to me, but I can't think of anything right now. Um, But the word vertical is a little problematic for a couple of reasons. One is that it tends to, or may, imply a kind of hierarchy. There's up and down, and up is usually better than down in the way we tend to think. Now, this idea of a vertical spectrum has a long history, or, or rather ideas of vertical spectra, if that's the plural, uh, has a long history, um, especially in, in uh, West, Western philosophy and spirituality. So there's some parallels with um, Neoplatonist ideas of the great chain of being and that sort of thing, um, where actually the verticality does imply a hierarchy. One end is good, and and one um, uh, synonym for the top end of of the vertical uh, spectrum in in Neoplatonism is is the good, and the other end is uh, not so good, is less holy, is furthest from God, and also less real. So this good is also sometimes called the one, as I said, in uh, in Neoplatonism. And there's a kind of ontological hierarchy um, implied, I think, as far as I can tell, so that that's real, that ultimate unfabricated is real, and everything else uh, sort of progressively is um, has less existence, uh, less reality, so that matter um, in some some 
versions of Neoplatonism, if, if I'm understanding correctly, is actually regarded as illusory or even as I said, unholy. And and in a way, some uh, approaches to, to Buddha Dharma might be sim- similar. And even in the language, so this this is unfabricated. The other is a fabrication, or these these um, other perceptions are more and more fabricated. They're fabrications. So there's a kind of reality imputed to the unfabricated and less reality to other perceptions. That may be an important stage, as I've outlined briefly here and um, in other places. A very important stage is, is a kind of way of thinking about things and conceiving of things as one deepens in meditation. It may be actually extremely important as something that unfolds. But to stop there is a problem because uh, it creates a dualism. So one thing about this vertical spectrum of the imaginal is is actually not, I would say, let's not confound it with the spectrum of fabrication of perception. So... As I said, in the teaching of the spectrum of the fabrication of perception, there is uh, the, the, the spectrum from unfabricated to, to fabricated, uh, a little fabricated, more and more fabricated. And implied in that, and importantly implied in that, is, is the implication of what's, what's real and what's illusory or empty, unreal. Uh, but wrapped up in that is, is a delusion. Uh, is a dualism, excuse me, is a, is a dualism. And in a way, I feel we need to be rescued at some point from that dualism. As I explained earlier and elsewhere in much more detail, we can actually see at some point in exploring this whole teaching of the spectrum of fabrication, that fabrication too is empty. It's like a teaching that's a raft, the whole teaching about fabrication. And at a certain point, we realize, oh, that that's not a real thing. We recognize the emptiness of fabrication at a certain point and that reveals uh, it collapses the duality it reveals uh, the holiness if you like of everything rather than one uh, transcendent unfabricated is holy and the, the rest of the world of fabricated is less holy everything appears holy everything appears magical there's the collapse of the duality any duality between unfabricated and fabricated We might also point out, actually, that in, in Buddha Dharma, um, uh, when, when we use the word illusory, eventually this is another way of saying the same thing, where usually that word illusory, that people say this or that is illusory, um, it's in comparison in the back of their minds with something that is not illusory. But actually, what is it to recognize that if everything is so to speak, illusory, actually saying everything is magical and holy. There's nothing that it's... um, Illusory is not in contradistinction to anything that's not illusory. All of it is opened up as magical and holy. So... Maybe the word vertical could be replaced with the word multiple. I'm not sure. Maybe the word uh, spectrum also 
uh, I'm a little unsure because a spectrum implies a kind of ordering. Uh, maybe there is, in terms of experience, a kind of ordering here. Uh, so again, in terms of perception or the sense we have um, of divinity might be, if you like, stronger at one end of this vertical spectrum in the imaginal um, than at the other end, uh, progressively. Um, so that might be a way of conceiving of it, but that's different from saying it is so, or this is a truth. Um, We might reflect just a little bit more on what then is the relationship between the spectrum of fabrication of perception and this, what I'm calling, vertical spectrum of the imaginal. Uh, so this is, I think, tricky. Um, not to confound them. I don't think that would work. It's tempting to. I don't, I don't think that would work. Um, but we could say, or perhaps, we could start with, uh, this is really a half opening of an idea, putting it out. Um, perhaps they are in some way parallel, or um, two threads that perhaps intertwine um, uh, along a spectrum, along, along a direction. And so the spectrum of fabrication of perception is... Uh, we could say has at one end the unfabricated, and say as saying that as a, as a uh, an aspect of the divine, the transcendent, unfabricated, uh, objectless, um, uh, beyond time, beyond any appearances, or all of that, beyond any sense of consciousness in the usual sense. And so there's that that aspect of God, the transcendent uh, aspect of the Godhead, if you like. And as one um, fabricates uh, a little bit more, coming down, so to speak, from that top end of the, of the, of the vertical spectrum, um, there is more universal and impersonal um, uh, shinings through of the sense of the divine through uh, the world of objects and things. Um, so, for example, this universal love, the cosmic love, the one awareness, the one mind, the big mind, or whatever. Um, the, these are, uh, if you like, uh, points on, on a spectrum of fabrication coming down that reflect a certain amount of divinity and then fabricating more, as, as down the spectrum, fabricating more and more until it becomes just the normal sort of non-sacred perception of self, other world. So there's like one end of the spectrum, it's completely transcendent, and there's more, more oneness and less solidity um, in, as, uh, towards that end. And as you move down, there's more, more solidity, more separation, etc. And less, less sense of uh, sacredness, more normal perception. And on the other side, or the other thread that's entwined or parallel to that track of the spectrum of fabrication, is um, what we might call this vertical spectrum of the imaginal. And we could say then that has its uh, one vertical end in, in the aspect of God 
that is more akin to what we were describing with Buddha nature, uh, that incorporates both the uh, ultimate gnosis of a, a Buddha, the Buddha nature, the wisdom awareness, and its objects. Uh, so it incorporates uh, both objective and subjective aspects uh, of the divine. And uh, within that is this, uh, or coming out of that is um, a spectrum of uh, the imaginal and a spectrum of particular theophanies. So my friend as a particular uh, aspect of the feminine aspect of God, a particular face of that, or, or, or other ones that are available there, down, again, down a spectrum, um, and at the other end, converging with the sort of normal, non-sacred perception of self, other, world. So, in a way, these two spectra um, have their bottom end, if you like, uh, converging in uh, in normal, non-sacred perception of self, other, world. Their top end, you could say, converges in the uh, divine, but different aspects. One aspect is the transcendent, unfabricated. One aspect is the non-transcendent, more ultimate of, of a Vajrayana conception, for example. Uh, that's maybe a start of... Uh, I, I don't know. That's a, uh, just playing with, with some ideas there. But these two threads then would have uh, be in a way parallel or, or, or not be the same, but have aspects in common. Um, one is, and really important again to realize, they're both spectrums of perception. They're both perceptions. They're not separate from the mind. Crucial. They are both empty. That's the second thing they have in common related to the first. They are both empty. We're not talking about things that have any ultimate reality. And uh, third, what they have in common is they converge in the normal perception at one end, and at the other end they converge in the divine, but at dif- different, if you like, aspects of, of the divine. One as utterly transcendent, one as inclusive of um, appearances. So, right, I'm playing with ideas he- here that are, that are, as you can uh, hear, half-formed. Um, <clears throat> But in terms of practice possibility, actually, uh, this is interesting because um, implicit in, in all this is that we can um, play with moving up and down each of these spe- spectrum spectra. Um, so, for example, can play deliberately um, seeing things as theophany, so deliberately hearing uh, those uh, 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 loud, raucous voices outside, um, deliberately hearing that as mantra, or just tuning into that theophany when it uh, appears. or uh, So we can play with the perception of theophany, uh, moving up and down the vertical spectrum of the imaginal, or just um, responding to what uh, comes, emerges f- from that spectrum to us as, as perception. Um, and then we can also play with um, the spectrum of fabrication, unfabrication, uh, as I've talked about a, a lot elsewhere, 
Um, and we can play with moving towards the unfabricated and play with not letting it fade so much, then mixing that with theophany. If, if the whole perception fades too much, it, 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 imagine is, uh, the imaginal practice is not possible because imaginal practice involves form uh, and particularity. So all that fades when you get too near, uh, too, um, too much towards unfab- unfabricating. But there's a play here, either separately or combined, uh, all kinds of possibilities. I don't pretend that's uh, uh, not something that takes probably a while to develop. All those possibilities takes a lot of skill, art, but it's there for us. It's, there's such a breadth and depth and richness and um, infinitude, probably, of possibility for the ways experience can open dimensions of experience. Now, when we say, um, when we conceive of uh, this, an image sense having its, uh, if we use a certain language, having its root in, in the divine, or its root in uh, a god or an archetype, this image, this image sense, uh, is mirroring, reflecting, originating in, in the divine, in, or in a face of the divinity, and, uh, or an archetype. Um, and... Uh, this image, uh, in, in the largest sense, is, is um, asking me to honor that, or through the image, uh, this uh, root uh, in the divine, or the root archetype is being honored, or replicated, or expressed, or manifest uh, through the image, or then through, through the image into my life, or whatever. Uh, it's through this uh, that's one of the ways I said a sense of sacredness comes through this sense of another dimension another level uh, it's a particular kind uh, or rather particular directional range of sacredness what I'm calling the vertical spectrum of the imaginal it's not the only one as we've talked about uh, made, made very clear I hope um, but particularly or, or what I really want to emphasize it's, it's from there that um, a sense of meaningfulness for us uh, 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 is born or is supported. So from, in relation to this, um, having its root or origins or mirroring or expressing another level, uh, the uh, divine or archetypal or whatever. This has a lot to do with meaningfulness. I'm going to come back to this. Um, but just to say... Uh, I don't know if that's obvious to you. I'll come back to that. But when we talk about a, a root in, in, in a face of God or a root in an archetype or a daemon or whatever, that root that we're talking about, if we use that language, root, um, that is not a static root. As it, uh, it's something I, I would like to conceive as something much more dynamic. By dynamic, I don't just mean impermanent or uh, changing or whatever. I mean, particularly dynamic because of everything that I said earlier about try to, um, to describe about the way this works in terms of eros as fertilization, um, deepening and enriching the image. The image, the root, is not static. It's not reflecting something static. It's actually um, uh, transformed, evolved, stretched, opened, made larger, deepened, made more multi-level through, through eros as fertilization. So Corbin talks about the angel out ahead, this figure 
this angel, imaginal figure that I never quite reach, always steps, uh, uh, keeps keeps moving ahead. I might catch up a little bit. He, he she moves moves out further. So the relationship is uh, never one of of union. It's one of direction and. Uh, uh, m- movement and connection in fusion but not union so uh, there's a dynamism here that has to do with the eros, the psyche, the logos as I talked about there is also, and again to emphasize so much, when we talk about root in the divine or this this archetype or that daemon or this aspect of the divine, we're we're talking about something that's empty uh, absolutely empty, empty of inherent existence and then also in that dynamism is, is that whole, uh, what we described briefly at several points, um, this idea from the uh, Jewish mystical book, the Zohar, that we create God as much as God creates us. A radical idea in theological circles. Uh, um, or in the Lurianic Kabbalah, this repeated dynamic of the shattering, the breaking of the vessels, of the structures. So here the vessel is not only conceptual frame, it's also an image itself. Um, as I said, it gets stretched or, or broken, or then it's uh, structured differently again. And that uh, breaking of the vessels also applies to God, or a God, or a God in, in a, in a, in a um, sort of more monotheistic sense, divinity that too our, our notion and perception of God uh, also uh, breaks, shatters, gets structured differently, grows, etc. This dynamic itself, the repeated shattering of the vessels, building again, growing, stretching, shattering, that too is part of God. It's, we're actually conceiving that as part of God rather than there's some kind of fixed entity in, in some kind of separate way. So again, you can. some of you will know this really kind of um, echoing, if you like, a kind of post-structuralist or post-modern understanding rather than um, assuming fixed, uh, independently existing structures. Actually, in all this really... Um, incorporating very much, very ba- at a very basic level, this idea of, um, uh, of of not just fluidity, but a whole dynamic there and non-independence of of these structures of of whatever root that an image is is reflecting, expressing, uh, or, or or the root in the, the divine root. Uh, we're not talking about fixed, independently existing structures. And again, to point out the um, shortcomings, inadequacies of most postmodern philosophers is is there isn't with all that uh, any practice, any practice of meditation and specifically meditation as the practice of of a flexibility of perception a practice of different ways of looking it's not there. So everything stays at the level of language, word games texts and, and it's presupposed that uh, it can uh, that that's the fundamental thing. It cannot go more subtly, uh, and and there is not uh, all it can do is deconstruct rather than actually move fluidly and creatively between perceptions, experiences, and therefore worlds 
that are recognized uh, not to be ultimately true or fixed or independent. So this sense or conception, sense slash conception of um, things, selves, others, world, uh, image, uh, having their roots in, echoing, mirroring, uh, other levels, divine levels, aspects, that... um, that brings a certain kind of sacredness. There are, as I said, all kinds of possible uh, kinds of sacredness, but there's a whole there's a whole subset of kinds of sacredness that come out of that kind of sense and conception. And that's really what we're emphasizing. And that root, as I said, could conceive it in, in different ways. One way, if if you want, kind of Buddhist ways. Uh, some people will, some people won't. Um, uh, one way is is possibly marrying it with the kind of um, notion of the ultimate in certain tantric teachings, the notion of Buddha nature, the the gnosis or wisdom awareness of a Buddha, which also includes the objects that appear to it. So the root is in both the, uh, the subjective aspects and the objective aspects of the divinity. The roots of these images are um, uh, are there in, if you feel like, the mind of God, the divine, the ultimate mind, but also they are uh, creations of that mind, of, of, of the appearances to that mind. So that's one way, uh, perhaps, of, of moving the, the conception, if you if you uh, like that. Now, I mentioned earlier <coughs> that uh, the uh, ways of conceiving of divinity and also of images and, and that, that connection there um, bear a great deal uh, on our sense of meaningfulness. Um, so I want to flesh that out. It may be obvious to some of you already um, through practice or just from what I've said already, um, but it may not be, so I want to spell it out a little bit. Um, earlier on the retreat, we actually um, pointed out a number of times that meaningfulness or a sense of meaningfulness pertains to images or is characteristic of images in the sense that I'm using the word image, fantasy, mythos, and uh, that sense of meaningfulness is part of what we were calling soul-making, soulfulness and the nourishing of soulfulness. So it's only, or rather, when we conceive of images in, in the ways that I've been leaning towards um, on this retreat, uh, asking, uh, granting a certain um, amount of autonomy uh, to, to images, or admitting that they have a certain amount of autonomy, conceiving of them, um, as having a certain amount of autonomy, as being in a way bigger than the human, knowing still that they are dependent arising, not separate from my mind, my perception, fabrication, etc. But when we grant them that um, greater being, if you like, a certain kind of autonomy, a certain kind of reality, and uh, a sort of origin, um, or, uh, as I say, mirroring, um, 
of another level, a higher, more divine level, if you like, or levels of the divine. And, and then we turn around in our relationship to images and ask, what is it that this imaginal figure wants? Uh, what do you want? If you remember, we emphasize this so much. Um, that this kind of way of conceiving of images and their uh, divinity, if you like, their roots in divinity, this fills out, deepens, uh, brings alive a sense of meaningfulness for us um, uh, in particular ways that the soul uh, needs. Um, m- more powerfully and, uh, I- and more particularly than, than other ways of conceiving. It nourishes that sense of meaningfulness, gives us a sense, for instance, of calling in life, of destiny, some uh, road calling me, some um, uh, pull towards something that I can't quite understand. I'm being pulled by something bigger than me. Um, puts uh, our the soul events of, of my life, gives them a meaningfulness, uh, a movement that's imbued in, in, in meaningfulness that has a lot to do with personhood. And my personhood uh, and my life, your, your personhood, your life, expressing, um, manifesting on the track of a certain kind of deep uh, and divine meaningfulness. The origins are not completely in me, so to speak. So, uh, the soul needs this. And recognize again the, the circularity of, of some of these statements and arguments, as Paul Tillich uh, pointed out. Never mind, so what? It's part of the territory. Um, and this is a whole big subject about meaningfulness. Uh, well, meaningfulness is a whole big subject, and Sometimes people want to, I've talked about this in other talks uh, elsewhere, sometimes people want to assert the fundamental, ultimately true meaninglessness of everything, as if that is true. They might shy away from words like true, truth and try not to use them, but underneath or woven into what's being said is that ultimately um, that we live in a meaningless universe. And any meaning that we might generate is, is therefore essentially, um, uh, uh, how would you say, kidding oneself, not having the courage to face m- m- meaning, meaninglessness, the existential meaningless and the limits of our existential situation. There, actually, and I've pointed this out other times, there is a fantasy right there, the existentialist fantasy. It's uh, the meaningless, the, the meaningfulness that comes in to that fantasy is exactly in that, in the in the sort of casting oneself as being brave enough to to face that reality of meaningless, to cope with it, to articulate it, to uncover it. Uh, actually, as a as a as a soul story, a fantasy, there's a kind of dead end there for for soulfulness. There's a limit, um, but limits are part of the attraction of that fantasy, the, the, the bravery of, of limits. It's, it's all resting on an assumption of truth, even if that um, is not recognized or realized or admitted. It's all, there, there's a fantasy in there about what's true, and then the self and the world are cast in line with that fantasy. So, 
we can uh, ju- again just spe- spelling this out with the different conceptions um, uh, uh, of divinity or cosmology. So again, to say if I have a completely one-dimensional view of the cosmos, so this is in um, uh, distinct, you know, uh, contradistinction and co- in contrast to the sense of a vertical dimension of many dimensions. If I have just a one-dimensional view of the com- cosmos, as, as we um, said, for example, really all there is that's real is matter. This, this teaching, uh, this philosophy of f- physicalism, what's called physicalism or materialism in philosophical circles. And all there is that's real is matter, and everything emerges out of the interactions of matter. Um, matter is meaningless, the interactions of matter are meaningless, consciousness and the complexity of our life, etc., and all what looks like uh, tragedy and um, joy, etc., is just kind of basically based on uh, or emergent from meaningless um, interactions of matter according to uh, the laws of, um, of physics. Um, but that view, that, that kind of one-dimensional view of the cosmos, you, you can see how that erases the possibility of any deep sense of meaningfulness, certainly to the cosmos, um, but also then by extension, by kind of implication or context to our personhood and our lives and, and the images. It's all essentially just the meaningless movement of, of um, matter. And that's the only real reality. So as I said, the images that come might be just random neuronal firings. So there's that view. And then, and then there's some other uh, views and perceptions of divinity. So we talked about that, for instance, a universal um, conception of divinity that's quite popular, a universal perception of divinity that's quite popular, fairly fairly easily accessible for most meditators. Um, the kind of mystical perception of all is one, um, and in different ways, maybe all is this vast cosmic universal love or compassion or all is awareness, etc. Interesting, here's a conception of divinity, but also that um, conception of divinity also kind of erases or leaves no room for a, a more personal meaningfulness. It's In, in its universality, it uh, has no room for a more personal meaningfulness. I mean, that's not so obvious. But, I, but by personal meaningfulness, I really mean any meaningfulness connected with uh, the, the particularities of the person, one's personhood, uh, one's life trajectory, the soul events of one's life, or as I said, a, a sense of a calling or a sense of destiny in one's life. Even uh, to take another view of um, a mystical view or a view of divinity, a sense, uh, a simple view of the emptiness of all things, or as we outlined, the, the, the view that understands everything as fabricated. Um, if we just stop there, that also erases meaningfulness. Um, and as we pointed out, without enough depth, if, if the view does just stop there, those, those kind of views, those kind of conceptions, everything is fabricated, there is the unfabricated, um, that view may actually disparage the world, the cosmos, as fabricated, and then orient towards this unfabricated, transcendent, unfabricated, um, erasing the world of phenomena, of perception, of manifestation, and, and that fits into the sort of classical Pali canon trajectory of ending rebirth. All this is fabricated. One does not want to be reborn into this world of fabrication. One wants to 
whatever the world word is, escape, dissolve, etc., and rebirth and dissolve, if that's not really the right word, in, into the unfabricated. So there's a disparaging of the word of the world of fabrication, or um, that does something quite profound to a sense of meaningfulness. So either in the universal views of all is one, or is love, all is love, all is awareness, or cosmic consciousness, or uh, the view of fabric, f- the unfabricated being divine and the fabricated being uh, the undivine. Um, in those cases, all of those cases, meaningfulness on- only would lie in, in, in the movement towards ending rebirth, or unbinding in the unfabricated, or realizing universal love, or realizing oneness, or whatever. Meaningfulness can only then be in those. If, that, if that's the only conception of the of the divine, that's the only conception of of the kind of the cosmology there. Then meaningfulness just lies in moving towards, trying to move towards perceiving that continuously, continuously perceiving oneness or the cosmic love or whatever it is, and perhaps helping others get there. So the meaningfulness comes, uh, yes, to help others get there. But the particularities of being, of manifestation, of action, of expression, of love, as well as uh, the particularities of personality or character, they have no particular meaningfulness other than um, sharing in this universal oneness. Well, they're one like everything else is one, or this universal reality. Basically, it's the same as saying they, they have no particular meaningfulness. Meaningfulness does not reside in the particularities, it resides in the universality. So it's only, you know, when we think about different conceptions and practice options uh, that we can explore and talk about, um, it's only in in this kind of conception and viewing and practicing, practicing the view as we're talking about, viewing ourselves, our lives, viewing others and things, and the world as, as, as we talked about, mirroring, echoing, rooted in some particular aspect or archetype of divinity. So it's only in doing that, in other, in other words, in, in, in perceiving selves, others, things, acts, speech, and all of that as particular theophanies, it's only that one that supports meaningfulness in, in this um, particularly sort of deep uh, uh, way that, that's connected with our personhood and the particularities of things. Uh, supports meaningfulness in the most soulful way, the most fully soulful way. So it's a dimension of, of the possibility of meaningfulness. That kind of, pract- that, that, that kind of conception and view uh, will support meaningfulness uh, the most, will... Um, fertilize and root a sense of meaningfulness in deep soil because the conception gives it that and the view gives it that. Okay, so we talked a lot now about um, conceptual frameworks uh, regarding the divine. There's There's a lot there. You know, I'm conscious of that. I'm conscious that it's complex, some of uh, what was said, a lot of what was said, uh, difficult to digest, difficult to understand, perhaps. Um, so, you know, very, very conscious of that. 
and um, really, again, the encouragement to to take take it lightly, take these concepts lightly, take your relationship with these concepts and with playing with them lightly um, around the concepts of the divine and how that works in with images. The Kotzka Rebbe, as a Jewish mystic from the uh, late 18th, and uh, he died in the mid 19th century. Uh, he is the basically the, the rabbi from Kotzka, which I think is in modern Poland. He said, um, "Pfui," he said, "Pfui," which I'm assuming is a is a, is a Yiddish exclamation. <laughs> Pfui, he said, "I'm not interested in a god any Tom, Dick, or Harry can understand." So take take you know take this lightly. Uh, it, it's okay, you know, in a way to be. There's something actually beautiful in grasping towards understanding this movement, instead of shattering conceptions, um, groping a little bit, putting things together, letting them grow, uh, building them. Uh, that was part of the dance. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.